Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, the Reverend John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. A reading from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have become to guard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. My dad's younger brother was named George, Uncle George. And Uncle George was a bit of a character, really. He was, he was about as redneck as they come. But he was this tall, skinny fellow um, who never really amounted to a whole lot. But his heart was full of generosity and kindness. He always had a funny story to tell. He would always help you with whatever project you wanted to do. He used to come to our house and do the ironing because he just liked to do ironing and he would chat with my mom and do the ironing and, you know, whatever needed to be done around the house. Uncle George was, in a lot of ways, a really magnificent man. And at his funeral, Uncle George, like many men his age, was, was drafted into the army and sometime in the late 1950s. Um, and he was in the army for quite a long time, actually. 
um, I think about eight or ten years. Uh, but I think that's mostly because he spent half of it uh, locked up in the brig. <laughs> Uncle George was not what you would call a successful soldier. He didn't have a great and glorious army career. He was a, what they would call a yard bird, I think. At any rate, at his funeral, they had, you know, the honor guard, like uh, at a lot of military funerals. Um, and, and usually this is a very sort of somber and moving ceremony. But given who Uncle George was and what we knew of his actual army career, it seemed to not quite fit with the whole, you know, the brave patriot honor guard thing and Uncle George, who spent most of his time locked up. And, and a lot of times, you know, at funerals, it's very interesting because it's one of those times where we really take stock of someone and try to distill a whole lifetime into the essential character of the person that we are there to honor and say goodbye to. And so, so Uncle George was a lot of things, but a glorious soldier he was not. And so this, this service always seemed to not quite work for him. And I, I was thinking about that as I was reading Paul's lesson today about what are the things that we really think are important in our lives? What are the things that we are most proud of? What are the things that, that if we had to deliver our own eulogy, what would we distill from our entire lifetime into the very essence of who we were? And, you know, I used to be a hospital chaplain. I worked two years in the hospital um, and most of our time in the hospital was spent in the palliative care unit, which is sort of an in-hospital hospice. So these are people who are on the verge of death's door, at the end of their mortal lives. And I've sat with probably close to 200 people as they contemplated the very end of their lives. And and a lot of our conversations were around this very idea of who were they? What did their life mean? What was most important? What did they feel they had really accomplished in their life? And I have to be honest and say that amongst all the people I ever sat with, no one ever said that their greatest accomplishment was being salesman of the month. And that the things that we, we honor in, in the world, in our lives, are often not the things that at the end of our lives we realize were the most important. Which is what Paul is getting at. Paul begins this passage today talking about all of his accomplishments. I am a Hebrew among Hebrews, a Pharisee, a zealous prosecutor of the law, the tribe of Benjamin. I have done all of the things I was supposed to do. I have excelled and all of the things that were offered to me. For us, it would be like saying, oh, I graduated from an Ivy League school and had a, uh, a road scholarship and I have a PhD. Nothing against PhDs, Ralph. <laughs> and I have accomplished, I've been the CEO of this great corporation. I've done all of the things that I could possibly do to be a success. But then Paul turns around and says, but you know, Looking back on it, because Paul is contemplating his own death, right? Because Paul is in this situation. He's in prison and he thinks he's been in prison before. He's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's been stoned and escaped. But here, Paul is pretty sure he has reached the end. So he's looking back on his life and contemplating 
what it was that made his life meaningful. And he says, you know, I accomplished all these things, but, but looking back, I, I don't see that those were really the most important accomplishments of my life. That the singular greatest thing I have done in my life was to give it over to Jesus Christ. That at the end of our lives, what we look back on is the ways that we were a loving presence in the world. Because that's, that's what Jesus embodies, God's loving presence in the world. And as those who commit ourselves to his mission, who are baptized in his name, who share in his death and become the members of his body, we too are invited through our faith to be a loving presence in the world. That's, that's what we were created for. Because we are created beings. We are made, right? And we don't make things that don't have a purpose. Everything that we create and put together is created and made for a reason. You are made and created by God and likewise have a meaning and a purpose. You were made for something. And all of us have this this call, this, this gift that God has given us, this purpose and meaning to be in every capacity that we can a loving presence in the world. And, and I don't want to say that the things that we accomplish don't have meaning because they, we are given gifts and the extent that we can pursue those gifts and hone the skills that we, we were built and called into, we can more effectively be a loving presence in the world. But the truth is that when we sit back at the end of our lives, my experience says that what we remember are the relationships that we had. And most people, when they say what is the greatest thing in their life, if they have children, they almost always say it was their children that that is the thing that meant the most to them. The second usually is some loving relationship that they were a part of, a spouse or, or a sibling or a close friend, maybe a parent. But some loving relationship they were a part of, their children, the ways that they sat and heard somebody when they were in pain, the times that they took care of someone who was in need, the time that they celebrated joyfully with someone that their heart was bursting in love for. Those are the accomplishments at the end of our lives that mean the most. And so Paul reminds us here that we are both created for a purpose and that that purpose, when we fulfill it, isn't some dutiful obligation that we have to go through, but this magnificent gift that is the greatest thing of our lives, to love. It is, it is a gift to us that we are both loved and called to love. Because when we commit ourselves to Jesus and we undergo baptism and participate in the sacraments, the church tells us that we are the body of Christ. And that is true, not in some symbolic, ethereal sense, but, 
literally. That the only Jesus people are going to encounter is you and all other Christians like you. That the only hands and feet that Jesus has are yours. The only mouth that Jesus has is yours. The only ears that Jesus has, the only eyes, the only touch that Jesus offers to this world is the one that you offer. By being the body of Christ, it doesn't just mean that we assemble in his name, but that we are called to continue that ministry of his to the world to be a loving presence into the world, to not let the darkness and the evil and the pain and the suffering that we all go through hold us back from responding to the world in love. That this great treasure that we have been entrusted with, the mission of Jesus Christ to accomplish God's dream of reconciliation and peace and grace and love and a place without suffering in which we can abide. These are the things that we will hold closest to us at the end of our life because when we do the things that we were called to do, the purpose that we were made for, it is when we feel most accomplished, most joyous, we feel most ourselves. We are this, this vessel, this fragile vessel of God's love. And it is a perilous calling, but it is ultimately the most satisfying calling because it is what you were made for, to be a loving presence in the world. Amen.